Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Al Roxander Hodge. Thanks for tuning in again for Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have Darren, who's quite a ways away from me. Today he's in Oxford, England. So Darren, how are you? Hey, I'm good. It's sunny here, which is very unusual. It's actually, you know, for some of you that will not see the video, uh, there's some lovely light coming in there, which is kind of nice uh, for England, like you had said earlier. It is. If anyone's seen the, um, what's the werewolf program, Twilight? If I do this, it looks like I'm a bit lit up like a werewolf. <laughs> so Darren was, uh, Darren and I both um, are on the Forbes Executive Council, which is where we met. So I graciously asked him to come on and share some of his wisdom. So I'll tell you a little bit about him and why I thought that would be a good fit for my audience. Uh, he's been working in the world of the UK supermarkets and suppliers for over 30 years. He began his career as a buyer at Big Four UK so supermarket and after 13 years, he decided to leave setting up Making Business Matter because he wanted to help suppliers and, and supermarkets to work better together. He is a love for human behavior, as, it, and as with everyone knows, that's my kind of sweet spot as well, helping people to become the best version of themselves. And like I say, their authentic self. Um, and MBMs uh, claim to have the stickiest learning in the world. So let's talk about stickiness and like, so I'm going to assume you have a business background, Darren, because, you know, if you were in that kind of, um, Rob, tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, what was your passion that made you create the shift to do something a bit different? Yeah. So uh, when I was 19, I joined one of the big supermarkets and my job title was assistant cottage cheese buyer. Assistant, I can honestly say, I don't think I've had anybody else on the podcast with that title. <laughs> so I wasn't even the real buyer. I was just the assistant. Now, anyone who doesn't know Cosh's Cheese is a very small market, mainly eaten by old dears here in the UK. And I was 19. So we went sampling on my first day and I tried. I'd never eaten cottage cheese in my life. And we ate 60 of them. My goodness. In one day. Now, eventually I was promoted, thank God, and I moved on to become the real cottage cheese buyer. But that aside, I worked with suppliers and supermarkets and did lots of negotiations over 13 years. And I got to a point of realising that suppliers and supermarkets could work better together. I'd always been a fan of understanding how people think and negotiation fascinated me and something called category management, which is what we did in the supermarkets. And then I set up this business 18 years ago and never looked back. 18 years now um, in the sticky business. Yes, in the sticky Tell business. Us, so you must have, I'm going to say, right, because I'm, that's a very competitive business that you'd be in. I kind of think of our supermarkets and I've been to, um, oh, goodness, I'm going to think of, forget the name of the supermarkets, uh, 
not Debenhams, that's a, that's a department store. There was another one that I went to in, in uh, Bournemouth when I was there. But just if you walk through our grocery stores here, um, and like with yours there, there's so much overload, right, yeah. for what you kind of, so that's a really, really competitive market. So I'm going to assume that based on kind of where you landed up kind of 18 years now, that there had to be an element of fit and communication and understanding of needs on a very, very microscopic level. And then being able to create that connection for the buyer to be able to. Yeah, I think having worked at the, the raw edge of a company that makes a very small margin very big sales with very small margins, I almost wanted to test whether training could actually work, whether learning and development could really work. And what I mean by that is that I went on lots and lots of courses and all the people listening here have been on lots and lots of one-day training courses. Mm -hmm. And this is how much they got out of it. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And what a shame, because they do these training courses, they go on them nine till five, they thank the trainer at the end of the day, that was absolutely perfect, wonderful course, but then they do absolutely nothing different. What a shame. And in a world where the margins are so slim, I want to find whether it could be changed. Could it be that we could do training courses and change behaviours? And the answer is yes, we can. So MBM never sold one day training courses because they don't work. Mm -hmm. Because of course, yes, it's nice, you know, I think of all the uh, trainings that I've done in my career, and oftentimes as executives, first of all, sometimes it was an inconvenience, but sometimes it was nice to escape the office as well, yes. <laughs> to think I'm, I'm going to get away for a day, uh, but you're so right, application after that fact, you know, or our brain gets a concept, and, you know, then we, unless we go back and figure out a way to apply it, into the practical realm of day-to-day -day functioning. We know, I, I know as a psychotherapist as well, how difficult it is for most of us to make change. Oh, it is, it, it's very hard. And also there's not really the appetite to make the change either. I'll give you an example. I was sent, you should never be sent on a training course, but if you ever are, it won't work. And I was sent on a training course, Smith, you're no good at negotiation, go on this one day course. Now, that's not a good start anyway, but putting that aside. And I came back with this folder like this, four inches deep. And I thought it was a great course. It was a one day course. The tutors were brilliant. They put me through my paces and I promised to go through this folder and made a commitment. Six months later, I cleared out my desk as I was moving from one department to another. And I took that folder and I threw it in the bin. As does most people. Now, I didn't change my behavior because of that course. Not at all. And what a shame. I'd invested a day. The company I worked for had invested two, three thousand pounds. And I did nothing different. Mm -hmm. But here I am working for corporate, doing nothing different from training courses. Only three years earlier, I'd been doing my driving lessons one driving lesson per week for 30 weeks because that's space repetition it works all of a sudden i can learn everything in a day not true <laughs> small i would say um palpable little bites often you know so create the concepts you know but you have to ha i call it little inoculative factors along the way right I, i've taught you know college and grad school and all those things right and you're so right and oftentimes my students would do the 14 week and you know they weren't really um 
taking the practical application of what they were just like thinking, geez, I got to get through these 14 weeks and, you know, pass this thing. But really, were they able to have uh, boots on the ground kind of practical applications of those concepts? I, I have my doubts that most of them did. And it's a shame. And the bit that I suppose bothered me when I started to get into this, having come out of corporate and taking my experiences there and wanting to apply something different, was that some of this research was around from Ebbinghaus in the 1850s, a German psychologist who realized that actually we're going to forget most of this stuff unless we use it within six days, two weeks, 30 days. The research changes. But the important thing is we do forget it unless we use it and we keep using it. Let's talk a little bit about that, right? Like, let's yeah, yeah. say I'm a poor communicator, so I get sent because <laughs> I got I got to figure out how to more effectively communicate with my team or, um, you know, different uh, departments throughout maybe my national company. What is the difference between stickiness, which is your concept, and someone kind of like you said a one and done kind of bit but even if they do executive coaching what's the difference or is it like a bit of a marriage of both that's more most effective um there are a number of elements that make the learning stick or more importantly even put the learning here change behaviors and one of those is to have bite-sized chunks so let's say it might be an hour and a half or a few hours the second part is to have a space in between to reflect, consider, use, and then to do it again. The next part is to have a line manager who gives feedback, who says, I see you communicating better. Brilliant. Or no, you're not. How can I help? That's also important. And then one of the other things that we've worked on is having fewer learning objectives. Now, in the world of training that I am in, you'll see training courses that have six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 learning objectives. And you think, there's no way I'm gonna change that many behaviors. So our stickiness is about what one thing do you want to change in negotiation? I'd like more confidence. Okay, let's work on that. Once you've got to that point, let's work on your questioning technique, but let's not try and do all 10 at once because you'll learn nothing. So really, you know, when you think of those performance evaluations, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, the ones that we all love to do yearly, um, either being on the receiving end or on the giving end. I think most people don't like performance evaluation times because it, it's unfortunately doesn't have a leave a very good taste in your mouth. So oftentimes you kind of sit down and you think about what are the things that I want to improve on and things like that. So from an HR perspective, you know, most people are trying to kind of ensure that people get some kind of, um, you know, organizational development uh, metrics and that they have to meet year by year or whatever. Mm -hmm. So with your approach with uh, your company, how is it that you work or do you work with companies on those goals to apply your courses? Is it that you go into a company and you will work on, uh, you know, just an overall level with, um, macro goals with the company that translates into micro or do you do more individual goals that kind of goes in and companies have the ability to um, go onto a LMS system to you know retrieve the trainings that's needed individually? You know, and the answer I'm saying is it's a bit of both. It has to be what the company wants to achieve ultimately, of right. course. Plus it has to be what the individual wants to achieve. Because at the end of the day, that individual is the poor God, the poor person has got to go and do all this stuff. So we have to make sure they're interested in it and they want to do it. We right. want it the furthest end from 
why are you at this training course my boss sent me? It will never work. Where we want to be is the other end of that spectrum of what do you want to get out of this training course? And normally the conversations between our trainers and learners, the learners waffle on about business demands, strategic, blah, blah, blah. Now, what do you want? Well, I want to be able to leave the office at six every day. Okay, that's time management. Let's start with that. And then you've got something that really works because they have a vested interest. It's a bit like if I were to hold up, when I was learning uh, French at school, they gave us a French bird table. This thing was three inches deep and it was awful. And we sat in double French, we opened it and read a bird table. Not one thing went into my head. But roll forward to me getting my new iPhone the other day I'm opening it, I'm playing with it, I'm interested. And there's the difference between, between someone who's motivated and someone who's not. Because I'm gonna get something out of that iPhone. I'm interested in technology, I want to use it, I want to get ahead of my brothers, blah, blah, blah. But the French verb table, all it did was prop up my desk. So really, if you look at, you know, kind of goals for companies, if we look at corporate culture and maybe if there's not buy-in, uh, potentially, but they let's say they want everybody to be able to have, like you said, better negotiation skills. It's sometimes the buy-in's not there based on the core, the culture and based on what maybe the, the, you know, the senior executive team might want to achieve. So in that case, um, you're going in, you're obviously, you know, speaking to senior buyers about potentially what they're needing to achieve. But sometimes you're getting employees that are going to feel a bit, I'm going to use the word mandated. You know, I have to take this darn course. um, And yeah, okay, I'm going to get through it. How do you kind of um, work with that motivation level versus someone that kind of is opening the new iPhone that's a big toy and they want to get better at it so they can um, do some fun things. Is there a bit of gamification in your courses or? um, It can be horses for courses. So the type of things we've done before are set up a leaderboard. So the leaderboard is particularly with people who are dealing with money like negotiators, buyers, account managers. So in order to pay for this course, Every single person needs to save in the next six weeks of this training course, 500 pounds, 1,000 pounds, whatever it is. Let's put everyone happy that we put that up there as a lead ball. Yes. Okay. What about if we put a prize up from everyone for the person at the very top, if they double that money? Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. And what do we do with the person at the bottom? Well, we'll, we'll send them emails and we'll mock them or we'll do it in a jovial way. Okay. So everyone's agreed we'll do that. Yep. Let's do it. You would not be surprised how motivational that is for those types of people. I've saved 20,000. Hold on, you're only supposed to save 500, 1,000 pounds. Yeah, well, I've covered his, 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 and his. Wow, that's good. How did you do that? Well, I did this. And they share what their best practice was. So it has to be horses for courses, I think. And that's just one of the ways that we can do it. Yeah, so you're getting, you're making it, okay, you're going to, obviously, you want to do the best, most of us do, but you're making it more collaborative. So you're having buy-in from people in the departments that want to, obviously, achieve change, but then, because they're kind of competing, and we all like to kind of have a healthy, friendly competition, then they, so the leaderboard is something that they're seeing in reference to what the changes are, you're saying, based on the courses. Okay. And it's very similar to our email reduction program. Now, emails are the bane of everyone's life. There's too many, we send too many. If you ask anyone, it's always him over there that's sending too many. I'm fine, but it's him. 
every single person. He copies everyone in. Do you do that? Well, I have to. And it goes like that. What we found is using Microsoft 365, where you can see how many emails you're sending. Again, a leaderboard. Everyone sends more emails than other people. Fine, that's okay. What should we agree as our target? 7%. How long? Four weeks. What do you need? Well, we need some hints and tips and webinars. Okay, let's do that. And we found our program will reduce for a company emails by 7%. That's quite a big change. And yeah, who doesn't want to have less emails and get up the next morning and think, my goodness, how much time is this going to take for me to get through to see which ones I have to respond to today? And then, you know, file the ones and hopefully I get back to it in this quarter at some point. And the ones that you're thinking, my goodness, I should have delisted a long time ago, but I haven't had time. Absolutely. And all we're really doing is doing that line manager piece, but actually they're doing it of, they're writing how many emails they sent last four weeks, how many emails they've sent the latter four weeks. Did you hit the target? Yes, no. And they're seeing everyone's because everyone's given permission to see everyone else's and they're all working together. Works really well. So let's talk a little bit with your companies that you're dealing with now or your customers. What is, what is the biggest need that you're finding requests for? Um, since we've been in this uh, economic space? What, what do you find that most employers are wanting training on? Um, strangely, it's, it's a very small piece and it won't last long. It's influencing over Zoom or Skype or Teams or whatever it is. Because we're dealing with people that need to persuade, need to influence, need to collaborate, need to negotiate, it's very important that they have influence when they haven't got it face to face. So you take here with me, for instance, right now, I'm quite well framed. How many people do you see? And they're like this, or they're like this. Okay, how is my frame? You're gonna have to tell me. I might have to close <laughs> in a bit, because I'm not as close as you. <laughs> and some people, they've got the light coming in, so you can't see their face. Yeah, yeah. Others, the light's behind them in front. So what they're not doing is they're not using what's around them just to improve their influence. Like you would in a meeting, you'd say, okay, we'd like you to open your body language a bit more, use your tone, tone change your volume, so on. But they're not doing this. And over Zoom, it's much, much harder. And that's because the eye can see about 576 million pixels. My laptop and your laptop is probably reducing that to about a million. So you can't see all the little cues that are going on. So I need to be much more animated than I was before. So that's something that uh, you've offered um, through the pandemic. One topic that I see, I have had a lot of requests for is coping with change. Do you yeah. find that that's been something that you, I know you, I've looked at your cards. I see that you have cards on mental health, um, those types of things. Uh, on, the, on the kind of the resilience end to things, what is the number one or, you know, number one or two things that you're finding people are, are needing, I'm going to say support, whether they actually go into training on it, but when you're consulting your management consultations or whatever, what are, what are those requests or those calls out to you for? I think what people have realized is that working from home, we've gone through that period of, hey, I'm working from home. Oh, this is great. Oh, no, I'm working from home. Oh, no, they slip off a cliff. And what they've sort of done, the smart ones have got to the point about here and realized that this could be to stay. Either way, they've realized that they have cabin fever or something where they think the walls are closing in. 
So they want a way of connecting with people they didn't have before. And Zoom doesn't cut it for them or Skype or whatever it is. And they're struggling with that. So what we're talking to them about, some very simple things. For instance, we need you, when we have our training course on this topic, to have three wardrobes. Your relaxing wardrobe, your going to work wardrobe, and then you're working from home wardrobe. Because what we're trying to do is get them to separate when they're at work and when they're at home. Otherwise, what happens is they open their laptop on the sofa, they're half watching the TV, they're half doing some emails, and all of a sudden life just becomes this blend of, hold on, I'm working 80 hours a week, there's no separation. And making those physical changes like what you wear is one of them. Having a separate space where possible is another. Yes, you might work at the kitchen table. Make sure you fold your laptop down, put it away, then the kitchen table is the kitchen table again. If they don't have these small changes in their life, it will feel like work is just their life. So like a whole new concept of when I was in corporates, you know, it used to always be that, you know, it was FaceTime, right? And now we've gone 20 years later and we're in this pandemic. And it was, I went virtual in 2004 at the time I was an executive. So that was quite a while. So I was accustomed to it. But for other people that had never done it, like, I mean, I have an, an, an area like with my, you know, studio, I have an office and I quite literally, you know, probably because I had to learn to do it and my son was young as, at, at the time as well is I literally when I close I burn doors when yeah. I close them I you know lord help you if you see what's past there but you know what I mean I feel mentally now I'm at work yeah and then I, when I open those up right um then I physically feel like oh okay I'm I'm done work now so I rarely sit at my desk or my studio unless I'm actually working, even though I have a sitting area in here. So it's what you're so right, because that whole concept of work-life balance has always been something that most people are dealing with. But now that's become exponential to your point, because my kids are, your kids are home. You know, your both spouses are potentially working from home, um, you know, and all those things. So it's just that, that's, you know, combustion that happens. And people are ha having that much more uh, issue with, like you're saying, separating, but also coping and feeling like they have some kind of time for themselves personally that doesn't collide into kind of the workday. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you, I, I, I went to my office. This is my office, which is in the garden, slightly separate from the house, which is lovely because uh, it, I have a separate physical space, which I'm lucky to have. Right? And I get that. For other people, it's trying to create that as best you can in the clothes you wear, in where you go, in how you shut down. And it's also having some sort of, I'm going to work from here to here, nine till five, eight till six, on a Friday, it's only nine till three. Whatever it is, you need to write that and stick to it. Because so otherwise- That stop gap, you know, whereas at, you know, sometimes at the corporate office, you know, it would get in your push, but home, it even becomes even more important that people set definites. Like I knew today, I'm going to end my day at 3.30. So I knew I booked everything accordingly. Doesn't mean I probably won't pop in for a bit after potentially to set up my day for tomorrow. But I've become a lot more definite too, as well with the pandemic, because I had a, a, a corporate office that I gave up because, you know, I just thought, well, it's, it's going to be potentially two years. It wasn't worth uh, the time to keep it, to be able to go back. So I think a lot of people have been struggling with that, right? Like, I mean, especially when their kids are younger as well, um, you know, just trying to keep their mental health 
whereas now parents don't have that separation. I, I said, you know, people are wanting to go back to the office now. I've been hearing a lot more because they that whole concept of, you know, I, I get to do one thing. I get to, you know, chit chat at, at the water cooler yeah. and to be able to, you know, actually see my people I'm working with on certain projects, those types of things. Yeah. You know? I, I, I would agree. And for those people who are struggling, you and I have been doing 15, 18 years working from home. We've had that separate space. We've learned these behaviors. For them, they've had to learn pretty quick. And it's tough. It's really tough to understand how to do these, these things remotely, um, to have the separate space, separate clothes, blah, blah, blah. And, and the bit that I'm, I think they'll struggle with a lot is what we call the water cooler moments. The bit where you're going to have a cup of tea together or get a, get some water together. And it's that chit chat that happens that makes Project X work. Trying to create that on Skype or Zoom because it's all purposeful. It's all, I'm going to talk to Roxanne, five or half past five, and that's that's a meeting. I don't phone you and just say, can we talk about this? It doesn't happen as much. And it's a shame. It's hard to replicate. Really hard. And I would think that it takes longer um, so potentially, we would think that we would be minimizing the amount of wasted time, but there's something to, to be meant about connection in person that's not replicatable to your point uh, via Zoom. Like when I am on, you know, um, and I'm sure you've probably uh, had to think a little bit about this, is like seven hours and, you know, if I've had seven meetings, let's say, between trainings or, or coaching or something, sometimes a seven hour online I find a lot more mentally draining than potentially if I, I was kind of doing the same hour, you know, hours out there kind of thing, shifting, or maybe I might have a couple of Zoom um, uh, um, meetings, but there's something, I wonder what it is about the brain. Is it because we have to focus that much more, like you're saying with the pixels um, and what part of the brain are we overstimulating potentially? Um, to hyper focus because I, I could I mean I could see your nonverbals very well but if you were in person it'd be, it could be so much more that I'd be getting from you but I've got half of you yes, I yes. mean you're pretty animated so it helps me to but some people are quite flat sometimes but you know where you're not getting any, any kind of ability to read their affect um, and then you're having to work that much more if they're not animated and it's exhausting it's exhausting and particularly if you take you know, if I'm talking down here or the angle's wrong or the light's bad, it just makes it doubly hard beyond the 500, 600 million down to the 1 million. Uh, and if I'm also very flat, and obviously you can't see what I'm doing down here with my hands, so I'm trying to hold my hands up at times because I've got to try and help you understand what I'm communicating. That's my job. But I've been on Zoom calls where you've got this guy and he's just talking like this and you think, I have no idea what you just said. Because all this stuff adds like to Like a ventriloquist at that point, you're like, oh my goodness, there's no, there's no non-verbal. No. And it's hard. And you imagine that when we're teaching negotiation, you've got these guys who are trying to really get the point across, but you want to say, come on, let's get our point across. What are you trying to say? Let's put a hand up. Let's do something to help communicate your point. But they're not getting it yet. It's going to take a while. So from the concept of in influence, right, which is what you said you've been doing a lot more with, I would say that um, some leaders are very natural at that. So maybe they had some tweaks that they would have to do yeah. that, that I could see. But what about if you had environments where there were issues prior to going into the lockdowns that, and you, you were well ahead of us in, in England, 
what kind of things do you find or, or, or conversations, I should say, Darren, that you had with leaders that were not leaving them having the most in ideal relationships with their workplace and then they had to go virtual and influence these people? Yeah. I think the answer is it was bloody hard for them. <laughs> and, and, and what Zoom Skype Online does is we believe it magnifies everything. If you were being presented to in a meeting, so you had a guy or girl standing up with slides, if that was boring, over Zoom, it is very boring. If a, leader, if a leader struggled to have conversations that were more sensitive or more intimate or the topic was hard, they struggled 10 times more over Zoom. Because of some of the things we've talked about, the communication, uh, the animation and so on. So what we're finding is things that were bad before have got really bad. And things that were good before can get better. But it's this one that really concerns me. Those presenters who you just wanted to put a pencil in your ear during their presentations, you now just want to shut your laptop and throw it out the window. Like, oh, I, I think I disconnected my internet down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, it's difficult, right? Like, and I think some, some people naturally are, are just, you know, more, like you said, more animated. You know, um, user, I use my hands a lot if I'm expressing myself. So, but some people are not naturally like that. And not that that's a skill they can't learn. However, you know, to learn it, you know, we've had, let's, we've been into this now a year, um, but still people, I think people, a lot of people are still struggling with the concept of if this is my quote unquote new normal, um, I'm kind of not enjoying things as much. I still have to be productive, but, you know, I'm going to assume that productivity has been waning because people are like, you're right. Like first I was like, woohoo, I get to stay in my pajamas every day. Yeah. To, now this is my reality. Uh, yeah. Which I yeah. think has been a little bit more difficult. It has. The, the other thing is that people have realized there's an advantage. I think it's a disadvantage. I'll explain. An advantage to being here with my laptop, my phone, because I can have the what we call the Norton Premium Package. I can block out everything. I haven't got to take your call. I don't have to pick up my email, the text, the WhatsApp, the blah. I'm, I don't need to. So everyone's being their own super gatekeeper. The challenge with that is everyone's being their own super gatekeeper. They are protecting their diary, which is stopping the serendipity, stopping the coincidence, stopping those little things that might happen, which make big things. And that's a shame. That's interesting. I've never thought of that because that, that is so true because I'm like you, right? I'm in my office by myself. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to book accordingly. Not every alert is off here. Every, you know, and so I'm, you know, hundred percent because I knew I was meeting with you, but you're right because in, in the environment where you're at work, you might be working on a project. Somebody walks past, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're one of your seaman team says, can we have a little chit chat? It may or may not be related, but you're connecting a different way. And I know what's happening with you, Darren, and maybe your family or what's happening in your community. And that element of connection, I think, is the lost part. And I think most of us as human beings kind of need that to, to just feel better. We do. I mean, the, the world, is, if we stay like this, the world becomes very linear, very flat, very logical. And I'll give you an example. 
I was collaborating with a, a magazine over in the States. It was an interview and some other things. And we'd been talking about this and a couple of interviews and some other things about six months. And we'd done a couple. So I thought I got to know this guy over email. And that's okay. So we got to a point six months on where I said, how about we have a short call? I think there's things we could do. I don't know what they are, but I think there are. So he said on his email, write to me and tell me what they are. I said, no, I'm not going to, because I know as soon as I put them on, on screen, you'll say no. And he wrote back and said, yeah, I will. I said, we've been collaborating now for six months on, on a few things. I only want 15 minutes of your time. And he wrote back and said, I can't give you it. Wow, that's interesting. Six months of networking potentially where you're perceiving it at a different level because that's what I do often too. That's me with my background. I all say, well, I know when we chatted and I go, hey, let's just connect, you know, and then I, you know, and I'll say to someone, instead of um, sending an email, if I can, I'll, I'll do a voice note. I'll say, yeah. hey, Roxanne, you know, I just, uh, you know, you're, I would love to kind of connect with you. How about we jump on a call and here's my link. Cause I find that that just adds a different element. Cause now I'm just not the flat picture of this, you know, woman on, on LinkedIn kind of with certain backgrounds. And then, then they talk to me, we, we have a little bit more connection, but to your point, our perceptions of what we might be viewing connection as if it's become more linear, uh, that's a fascinating perspective um, in reference to um, kind of needs of companies, right? Like training needs and what are their core key um, concerns uh, for, you know, learning and development or um, engagement or recognition, those types of things. Are we getting the 360 impact or are we just kind of getting what people want us to think they need? And, and it's such a shame with this particular example because... I'm sure he is very busy. We're all very busy. Um, he is not going to collaborate on anything outside his linear path. Mm. So that means that this other stuff that creates some of the wonderful inventions in our world or the tangents or the things where you just go, wow, Bob and I met and we thought about this and we're going to do that. Wonderful. He'll never have any of those. Because creativity is then being stifled is what you're saying. And if you think about it, really, sometimes we come with the most amazing things just because we're kind of just being, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're spitballing, as, as you guys might see. We're, we're brainstorming. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> as exactly. we might say, you know, those things happen. But if I uh, booked a meeting with him and we had a very specific brainstorming, we wouldn't get it. It was just through conversation that I think it would happen. Um, but I'll never, never persuade him. And actually, I don't want to now. Um, right. That's quite the investment as well to be told. Absolutely not. Not even a 15 minute, you know, jump on call that which is not a big ask, in my opinion, if, if, if you've spent six months with someone. So that's that's quite fascinating. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of some of the uh, trainings that you do for anyone looking, um, uh, you know, to implement some training or to find out more about, um, uh, you know, being like we, like you said, connected to yourself based on what your needs are. There could be so many different goals. I know when I was an executive, oftentimes I would kind of get to be able to decide what I wanted. Um, where could people get a hold of you? Companies that are potentially looking for some of the things we've talked about, which is 
been quite unique, Darren. I can tell you that this conversation that we had about linear um, concepts and creativity, I don't think I've kind of ran across that in the, you know, and I do for these a month. So I think that's fantastic. Um, and mm -hmm. also connection. And because I often say with, as a, as a psychologist that, I know the, how my clients' brains are being impacted. Mm -hmm. And I know the screens are doing certain things to us that are disallowing us to want to connect because now we only have one option. Yes, yes, yeah. All right, well, um, how about this? Rather than we do a pitch where everyone's going to roll their eyes, how about I give them something? We have spent a lifetime creating an award-winning blog that we're very proud of. That award-winning blog has just under 500 articles all about soft skills and self-development, and we give it all away free. Some of the articles are 500 words, some are 10,000 words, and they're full of practical advice to enable people to be the very best version of themselves. So if they go to makingbusinessmatter.co.uk forward slash blog, 500 articles separated by categories like leadership skills, negotiation, presentation, all the soft skills you'd expect, all of that's there for free. And if you happen to want to check out training after, I'm your best friend. The link will be, the link will be in the show notes as well. So this has been a, an amazing chat. I think I've learned a couple of things in reference to maybe what I need to do differently when I'm on Zoom and to be less linear potentially, because I'm sure I've been as culpable as other people probably listening to this and recognizing is what is it that I can do um, to have a bit more kind of, like you said, definite stop gaps um, to create that synergy for some kind of connection. What, what can I do different? If my only reach out now is by um, Zoom, what is it that I could do different to ensure that I am not in that space when I'm getting on a call with someone? Because there might be things that I could do to just kind of rev up myself to be more connected in order to have those calls. So it's something that I, I'm taking away from our, our chat today. So for anyone um, that's wanting um, more, please reach out to Darren and that blog sounds amazing, a lot of free content. And then if you're needing uh, more information, you'll be able to connect with them uh, with myself. If you're wanting to learn more about authentic leadership and uh, relationships, you can go to RoxanneDurhodge.com. Take care, everyone. I will chat with you soon.